I might have a, a little bit of an interpretation for you. Um, so God can speak through anything, right? And um, I was having a conversation with someone about just the meaning of significance of certain animals. And he was telling me that, that, um, that fox means new beginning. I was in California having this conversation, and the next day we flew home. And that night I saw a fox behind my house. And I was like, okay, out of all the things that I could have been talking about and all the examples you're going to get given and all the things that could show up in my backyard, a fox, and it was wild. He mentioned one other. He said praying mantis and that it's, um, it's just a reminder of God's presence. And I don't know where that comes from. I try to look it up, try to find. But, but the, the interesting thing is, this is the second time now since I heard that, that that, that um, came to mind. And actually the first time was uh, at Michelle's new house. Literally right after she moved in, I went over to paint the living room. And on the um, address sign on the exterior of her house was this huge praying mantis. And I took a picture and I sent it to her. This was like two weeks after I'd heard that and I sent it to her. And when you were sharing that, I turned around and said, do you remember, you know, do you remember what it means? I don't think she remembered. So I'm reminding you and I'm, I'm letting you know as well. So that's, that's pretty cool. He's with you. He's with you and he just wants you to know that. It's, it was true before the praying mantis showed up, but it's just a reminder. Um, you guys doing all right tonight? Good. Um, We're going to be continuing in our, our series we've been talking about what it means to walk in the fullness of God, and I want to continue there tonight. And um, go with me to Ephesians 3 first. Um, we're going to start in Ephesians 3. I want to read this passage that we read to um, kind of start this series. It's Ephesians 3, starting verse 14. Um, 14 to 19. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And he goes on later to talk about more about the fullness and and how it's really this process of maturity that God is bringing us into. And um, I just want to start by saying tonight that, you know, the gospel is, is a romance. The gospel is a romance. Um, when Paul is praying this prayer for them, he's praying that they would, they would experience and encounter and know the love that God has for them so that they could live in that love. The good news is a romance, and if we forget that, then we forget, we've forgotten actually the most important part of this. 
See, it says that God so loved the world that he sent his son. When we're talking about the fullness of God, like every, all of the aspects that we're, that we're talking about, everything finds its meaning in his love. It all finds its meaning in his love. And if we, if we lose sight of that, if we lose sight that this relationship is at its core, it's about a love that we've received and a love that we give in return. If we forget that, if we lose sight of that, then in fact, actually all of these things can just become more information for us. And, 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 and just the information itself is not significant for you. Unless it's activated by the love of God in your life. So I just feel like I want to say that tonight um, and encourage us into that. Because uh, maybe perhaps you've been hearing what we're talking about, the fullness, and, and it, it's not doing anything for you. And you might be wondering, why is that? Maybe I just don't get it, I don't understand it, or um, maybe it's not actually as exciting and compelling as... Um, as it should be, or uh, maybe we just need better sermons. <laughs> maybe those are the thoughts that you've been thinking. I don't know, but I, I really believe, in fact, it, it, it probably has something to do with love. probably has something to do with what's going on in your heart towards God and your ability to first understand his heart towards you. And so when Paul wants them to come into the fullness, he prays that they would know the love of God. He says three times. He says three times. He says, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love so that you could grasp just how big it is. Just how big it is. And to know this love that passes our understanding. That means that what God wants to do in, in, in you with his love, it, it's, it's an experience. It's not just information. It's an experience. He wants you to encounter his love. The gospel is romance. And if we lose the romance, then this stuff, it loses its meaning. Right? We, we hear that in, in 1 Corinthians 13. In the middle of talking about the, these amazing gifts, in the middle of talking about the things that, that these, this church was experiencing with God that they were seeing happening, um, he brings them back to the fact that if any of those things do not find their place in the love of God, then they're meaningless. And sometimes the, the, the things that God wants to speak into our, our hearts, into our lives... In fact, all of his word. If we don't first encounter and experience his love, they will feel meaningless to us. So I just want to encourage us in that. Part of this message tonight is about love. It's about letting the love of God into your life, receiving it, and let it being, let it be, letting it be the thing that drives you, that motivates you, that moves you. So this conversation about the fullness of God it, it has to be rooted in the love of God, his love for you. It's, it's, in fact, it's the thing that motivates God. Love is the very thing that motivates God. It motivates him for everything that he does. Everything that he has done has been motivated by 
his love. And in the same way, he's invited you in to receive and to walk in something. But the motivation has to be love. Has to be love. That's what it means to be like him. Motivated by the things that motivate him. So you can walk in the things that he's given you of himself to walk in. Okay? I'm going to pray um, that for us tonight before we end this message. Because um, I feel like God's given a specific word about that that perhaps some of you might need as you're hearing this. I, I shared uh, just a couple of months ago with you guys very candidly um, that I was reading about the love of God and it, it, it wasn't having any meaning to me. And perhaps some of you have been in that place. You're like, yeah, God loves me, yay. If it doesn't move you, then there's something that needs to change. And I want to pray for that tonight for us before we leave. Because God wants to help us with that, okay? He wants to shift our, our, our focus, our intention. He wants to give us um, hope again that, in fact, the, the, the very place where he met us, when he found us, um, that we can, we can have the, the stuff going on in our heart that we had when we met him for the first time. You can have that again, okay? So we're going to pray that. I want to actually... Um, read another passage from Ephesians, Ephesians 1. And tonight I want to talk about uh, really walking with the Spirit of God in your life, okay? Um, and um, this is going to connect back to love. I want to read this passage from Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. This is an amazing uh, truth for us. And I think it's one that we need a little context for. Um, I don't know what environment you grew up in, um, if you grew up in the church or not, but even for many of us who grew up in the church, we didn't really hear about the Holy Spirit and how amazing the Holy Spirit was, is. Um, The Holy Spirit is amazing, and the Holy Spirit is part of your inheritance. Ephesians 1 says it's, in fact, the very thing that you were marked with when you believed. It's the first thing that God gave you of himself. The first part of his promises fulfilled is the Holy Spirit given to you, marked, been marked, sealed by the Holy Spirit if you're his, if you believed in Jesus' work on your behalf. You've already begun to receive what God has um, for you. And the Holy Spirit is uh, a major, major, major part of that. So we need to know about the Holy Spirit, <laughs> okay? Um, and if you, if you didn't grow up in a church that talked about that sort of thing, or you didn't grow up in the church, you might have just kind of passed over it. You accepted Jesus, and you didn't realize that um, the things that he's giving you of himself have already begun, and the Holy Spirit is um, central to that. So Ephesians says, when we believed, when we believed, we were marked with 
a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. It's the one that he talked about. I'm going so that you would have this. I'm going, but it's better that I go. It it had to be pretty good if it was going to be better that Jesus, walking in the flesh, would leave. And that it would be better. It had to be pretty good. We have the Holy Spirit, the better, the better. If we, if we talk about, you know, it would be great if Jesus was still here walking and, and doing his thing. Actually, Jesus wouldn't agree with that. He says, it's better that I go because I'm going to send my helper. And instead of one of me, there's going to be one of me in all of you. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit is incredible. It's part of the divine strategy of God to change the world. Starting with your life. Starting with my life. And so there was no panic in Jesus. Is this going to work out when he's leaving the disciples? Because he knows. I got a promise in the works. And when, when this takes root in their lives, everything's going to change. So the worry that was on their face, Jesus, Jesus didn't agree with it. <laughs> he wasn't worried about it because he knew about this promise. And what would happen when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of his people? It changes everything. We need to believe this. It's part of our inheritance, and it's part of walking in the fullness of God, is learning to walk with the Spirit of God. In partnership, in unity, with the presence of God that is already in you. Um, We're going to read Galatians, but before we do, um, just thinking, like, do you realize, again, the context for this? You know, in the Old Testament, um, a time that's unfamiliar to, to most of us, and, and I don't claim to know it, but one of the things that I know about the Old Testament is that the presence of God is not something that you had. Um, it's not something that you even got to come close to. Like the glory of God, the presence of God resided in the temple and the holy of holies, and nobody could come near it. And, and yes, the Spirit of God did visit people in the Old Testament, but it was just that. It was a visitation. The presence of God would come and empower a person to do something, to walk in something that they couldn't walk in apart from Him. But then the presence of God would leave. That was a sad day. <laughs> it was a good ride while it lasted. It talks in the Old Testament about people like Saul who, um, who got... Uh, empowered by the Spirit to walk in things that he couldn't do on his own. But then when the, when the Spirit of God left Saul, it was a bad day, a sad day. In the New Testament, it's different. In the New Testament, you can come close to the presence of God but because, in fact, you have his presence in you. And his presence in you is actually approval. It's the approval of God that this is a place where I can reside. That's powerful. See, the work that Jesus did made the way for your life to be a landing place for the presence of God. A, a, a home for the presence of God. That's why it says our bodies are the temple. Our bodies are the home for God's presence, His Spirit here. And in the New Testament, Graham Cook says it's in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit, it was a visitation culture. In the, in the New Testament, 
It's a habitation culture because the Spirit comes and He resides and He lives. And He's not going anywhere. He takes up residence in us. But there's still something that needs to happen where we learn to host His presence. Just like any good homeowner when someone comes to your house, to be attentive to that person, to want to know what they might need, want to know what they might want. And, you know, if you um, have a family, so this analogy breaks down a little bit. He's living. He's not coming to visit. He's living. And there's this place where we actually have to come to understand what he wants and what he desires so that we can respond to that, to become a good host for the presence of God that, that is in us. And God is has already paved the way for us to experience him through his presence in us. And so he's looking for us to cooperate with him by saying, okay, God, I want to be mindful first of your presence in me and what is possible because of that. And I want to be a good host. I want to be motivated by love to... to move with you and respond to you and listen for you and to let my life be submitted to you. Let's read in Galatians. Go with me to Galatians 5. Um... I've got two translations here. I'm trying to pick which one. All right, I'm just going to read it from the NIV. Good old NIV. We're going to start in verse 13. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, I'm going to break this down. Um, I want to say first about walking by the Spirit, okay? Um, The first thing that we need to know that's so powerful and that he starts this chapter off by saying is he says, he says, you are free. You're free. Free free from what? Free to what? He says, you're free from walking in the manner that you used to live. You're free from living the way that you used to live before Jesus showed up and changed everything. He says, you're free from living that way any longer. It says in verse 1 of Galatians 5, it says, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm. 
Stand firm in that freedom. Walk in that freedom. Live in that freedom. Let it be your reality because Christ set you free so that you can walk in it. And so the first thing about walking in the Spirit is first realizing that we have the ability to walk in the Spirit, in the things of the Spirit, the things that He would desire for us, the things that He wants to produce in us. When, when He says, I, I, I'm, want, I'm leading you in this way and I want you to come with me, we have the ability to say yes to that because of Jesus. So if you have Jesus, you're free. You're free from sin. You're free from the old habits, the old nature, the old way that you used to live, the old way that you used to think, all of it. And I know we live in this place that sometimes that comes into question. Sometimes we wonder if it's really true. Sometimes um, our lives don't reflect it, and so we, we kind of think to ourselves, is it really true? Am I really free? And the answer is yes, absolutely. But you have to walk in it. Your freedom has been given to you so that you can walk in it. You can live in it. And the Spirit of God is here to help you with that. The Spirit of God is here to help you walk in your freedom, to walk in your inheritance, to walk in a way that looks like God, to walk in holiness as we talked about last week. The Spirit of God is your biggest asset to walking in the way that God would desire you to walk. The Spirit of God, who is with you all the time, is your biggest asset. So he says, you're free. And then he goes on to say again, he says, you were free, you were called to be free. But do not use that freedom, do not use your freedom, which is the ability to choose, the ability to make decisions for yourself, He says, don't use the freedom that you now have to please yourself, to think of yourself first, to make decisions that are about you and nobody else. You first. He says, don't use your freedom that way. Otherwise, (laughs) you're not living in it. Jesus says in um, John 8, in fact, that... um, where we have it? Do we have that? John 8. Go a little bit further. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus was talking to the nation of Israel. He was talking to the descendants of Abraham and And he told them that they weren't free, and that was news to them. And he defines what freedom is. He says to be free is is to not be a slave to sin, to not be ruled by it any longer, to not be mastered by it, that your heart can actually choose something other than those things. Jesus says, whom the Son says free, you're free. So if Christ has set you free, then you are free. But you have to walk in that freedom. All right, let's go back to Galatians. In verse um, 16, he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is, the desires of the self, the selfish desires. 
For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. It's like oil and water. These things don't mix. What the spirit wants and what the self wants, they don't mix. And what he says here is because they don't mix, they're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. He says these two things are polar opposites. So, if you're going to walk in your freedom, which God has given you, walk in your freedom by the Spirit. Choose the things of God, because you can't choose the things of God and the things of your selfish desires. They're, they're completely opposed to each other. You can't have both. And so he's saying you have to make a decision with your choices, with your life. From the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep. You have a choice to make with your freedom. You have to choose one or the other because they don't go together. And we have that choice. We are free to choose God's will. We are free to choose what God would have us do. How he would have us be. How he would have us live. And I love this because freedom in God doesn't just mean the ability to say no to something, but it means the ability to say yes to something else. It means the ability to walk in goodness. It means the ability to walk in truth. It means the ability to walk in all of these things that he lists later as the fruit of that Spirit. These are the things that the Spirit of God is, and by walking in the Spirit, these are the things that are produced in your life. And the first one is love. So when we choose to walk with the Spirit, it produces something in us. It doesn't just keep us from something. It actually allows us to walk in something else. He goes on to say, he says, if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And that's what he's talking about. He's saying that you're free from the law. Actually, you've been brought into another law. It's called... um, It's called the law of love. The law of love is what we've been brought into. James talks about this. The law of love. It actually means that you're not just motivated by um, rules and consequences. You're motivated by something else completely. You're motivated by love itself. You're motivated by love and it produces something in you. Something that rules could never produce in you. This is what it produced. I'm going to read the list. The fruit of the Spirit. That's what it produces in you. Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Which is to say there's nothing that can enforce those things in your life. Nothing can enforce love and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness in you. Nothing, the the law could never produce that in us. And so God sent his spirit. And I think this is so important because when we're talking about walking by the spirit, we need to actually get a vision for something better. We, we, We can't just have a vision for what we don't want. We need a vision for what we do want. That's what freedom really looks like. We're not just, we're not sin conscious and we're not paying attention to that as our primary focus. Our primary focus is on God and what he's like and who he is 
And when we get a glimpse for that, we realize, God, you want me to be like you. This is so much better. That's what it means to be motivated by love. You get a vision for something else. That's what God has a vision for in your life. God has a vision for your life with his spirit in you and what it's producing and what it will produce. And he wants you to catch that vision too. And when we do, something changes. We get to walk in the freedom of that. And motivation comes that that can't be produced by what we're trying to avoid, what we're trying to stop doing. It's not don't be angry. It's, It's live in love, live in peace, live in joy. And when you live in those things, it's going to be hard to be angry. (laughs) He goes on to say, verse 24, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit? What does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Actually, when when he says be led by the Spirit, I think it's actually the perfect picture of what it means to walk by the Spirit. It actually means to let Him lead you. And actually what, it, what came to mind for me was perhaps better than walking is dance. To be led by someone. Where they're going. When they move, you move. This is kind of uncomfortable for me. I don't like dancing, especially dancing with someone else. <laughs> Right, Maria? <laughs> yeah, she could probably count on her hand the few times that's happened. One being our wedding. We, we danced right there, actually. Part of it was I had to lead the dance. That's why I was so uncomfortable. But in this scenario, in this situation, you're not leading. The Holy Spirit is. It's a dance where you're led by God. And when he moves, you say, God, I want to move with you where you're attentive to what he's doing. And guess what? You have the ability to be because he's, he's right here. He's right here. He's with you. And so part of this is saying, God, what are you doing? Holy Spirit, what are you wanting to do inside of me? What are you already doing inside of me? Perhaps before we even talk about what I want to see happen, let's talk about what's already happening. So Holy Spirit, show me the fruit of your presence in my life because the very fact that you're with me and you're inside me means that you already are producing something. Some of us just need to start there. Before we start talking about what isn't, let's talk about what is already by the Spirit of God in you. And then you can begin to move with him because he always wants to call us into more. But it's not from a place of inadequacy. It's from a place of, of a good father wanting to see his children grow. Wanting to see us come into the fullness. Wanting to see us realize what he gave his life for and what he is constantly pursuing us to see realized in us. So we, we let the Spirit lead us into that. 
We have to respond. God, what are you doing? Where do you want to take me? Okay. It's, it's an uncomfortable place, actually. That's why I don't like dancing. <laughs> it's uncomfortable. You got to work together. <laughs> you have to be attentive to what the other person is doing. Otherwise, you're just going to look silly. In John 3, I want to read this. Jesus describes what this um, looks like. John 3, 8. He's talking to Nicodemus, who was trying to understand this whole God thing. <laughs> he, he was perplexed by Jesus, and yet he was wanting to know. And in the middle of that confusion, he speaks about the Spirit, Jesus does. And he says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The wind blows. Actually, the word for wind there is spirit. It's the same word in the Greek. And Jesus says that the spirit of God is like the wind. And he says, you can't tell where it's going. But he says, so it is with everyone born of the spirit, which is to say, I believe that in fact, if you're born of the spirit, you now have the ability to tell where the wind is going. You have the ability to tell and discern what the Spirit is doing. How else could we move with Him unless we knew what He's doing? You have that ability now because He's present in your life and He's wanting to speak to you. He's wanting to guide you and lead you and direct you. Be led by the Spirit because He wants to lead you. But it requires us to be motivated by love to do so. You don't dance with just anybody. Are you with me? You don't dance with anybody. But on your wedding day, you better dance. (laughs) You better dance. In a love relationship, you do things that you wouldn't do otherwise. Being led by the Spirit means being in love with the Spirit. Otherwise, you're going to be, you might still move, but you might move stubbornly and you miss the joy of what God is wanting to do in taking you there. You realize as powerful as the Spirit of God is, and it says it's the same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave, that's the Spirit that's in you. As powerful as the Spirit is in your life, He doesn't push you around. As powerful as the Spirit is, He will not push us around. That's why we can quench the Spirit, and that's why we can grieve the Spirit. Because the Spirit wants to lead you, but He's looking for your cooperation. He's looking for your willingness. He's looking for your love to say, okay, let's go there together. And that's why this is really a message about love. Because when you're motivated by love, you will be led by the Spirit. You will let Him lead you. Because you'll say, God, I'm submitted to what you want to do. I don't know what it is. It feels a little crazy. It feels a little out of control. The the wind is blowing. and (laughs) I just want a controlled environment. (laughs) But I love you. So lead. Lead on. I love you. And the very first thing that the, the fruit of the Spirit produces in you is more love. 
so that you can keep going, keep moving in that, keep being led by that. All right, I want to wrap up in prayer, and I said, um, I want to share this word that I, I believe is, is for um, some people in this room. And uh, I was in prayer this morning, and I was reminded of this season that we're technically in right now, fall. And I, I, heard, I heard the Spirit say, um, fall in love. Fall in love. And I feel like he's saying that um, this season that we're in, that will produce leaves falling off the trees and apple picking and all those fun things. I don't know if it's just me, but the fall is so nostalgic. Maybe it's because um, it meant going back to school. <laughs> Nostalgia is not always positive, but it's mostly positive. <laughs> I, I love the fall for that reason. Things start to change, and you feel it in the air. And I just felt like God is saying that this is a season to fall in love with him again. Some, perhaps for the first time, others for the hundredth time, all over again. That he wants you to fall in love. That is what this good news is. It's a romance. If you're not being romanced by him, there's, there's something missing. But God is saying in his grace and his mercy and his desire and his pursuit of you, that this season is this season to fall in love with me again. And perhaps that means that you need to simplify what's happening with your relationship with him. You need to just get back to the basics. Perhaps it means that you need to just sit before him and say, God, until I get it, speak your love to me. Until, until it hits my heart, until it does something, until it changes something, tell me how you feel. Because you can't give it until you first receive it. So fall in love. I heard that this is a season to remember in your journey with him. This is a season to remember in your journey with him. And whether it's for the first time or all over again, he wants to take us past what we have known. And some of us have been limited by our, our knowledge in the wrong way. Actually, what you know can limit you. Because <laughs> you think so- we think sometimes what we know is all there is. And God's saying, I want to take you past what you know about me. It's good. And it was great for the season that I spoke it to you, but it's, it's not enough for the season ahead. I want to speak new things of who I am to you. My love is discovery. My love is discovery. I want you to discover something more about who I am. Um, this last part is kind of funny. So, uh, <laughs> anybody like chick flicks, <laughs> romance movies? Uh, better name to say. Okay, yeah, guys are like, I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen this, but I heard A Walk to Remember. <laughs> Who's seen that movie? <laughs> All right, I'm not going to ruin it for those who haven't seen it, partly because I've never seen it, so I can't ruin it. <laughs> But I heard a walk to remember, and I had to ask Maria later, like, have you seen this movie? Um, okay, what's it about? Slightly, just give me a, a, a sense so I know if this is related at all. Um, but a walk to remember. And I looked it up, all right? And uh, from the explanation that I found, it says a powerful and inspirational relationship to which they discover truths that take most people a lifetime to discover. Okay, that sounds kind of cheesy, right? Um, <laughs> and apparently it's about 
uh, this guy who's like, you know, classic bad boy, and then he meets this girl who's like, I don't know if she's a goody two-shoes or just a classic kind of, I don't, I don't remember what the word they used. It was, um, I didn't write it down. It was a word I had to look up. <laughs> but it basically means innocent. Oh, guileless. She's guileless. Which is, there's something about her that's innocent. And I, I just feel like in this season of God bringing you back into a discovery of his love, one of the things he's doing is he's, he's wanting to remove any jadedness. He's wanting to remove anything that would keep you from the innocence of being a child before him. And so I, I really believe that, in fact, sometimes it's the simplest things that can be the hardest to, to penetrate our hearts because things have happened that have, have obstructed the simplicity of just knowing him and loving him. And I just feel like I can say from my own life that he's, he's removing those things so that we can get back to loving him. So I want to pray for, for us in that and um, for anyone that that word might apply to. I think that would just be great for all of us had it, so I'm going to pray that. Let's pray.